0: Hello and welcome to episode 40 of the Classic Lenses Podcast. My name is Simon Forster and I'm hosting this podcast from Stoke-on-Trent in the UK. Joining me today is Carl Havens in Gainesville, Florida. Hello and welcome back, Carl. Hey, Simon. Thanks. I missed
1: being on the show and listened to both the last two podcasts. And you guys did a great job. Good. Really good.
0: Well, thanks for that, and uh, we're really glad that you're back as well, so uh, so um, welcome back again. Um, and as ever, we've got Johnny Sisson in Chicago. Hello, Johnny. Hello! Short and sweet there. Um, right, now, this week, uh, we have one of the people behind the very popular um, Best Vintage Lens. Now, this is a bit, I don't really know what to describe it as, so um, this is... So this is one of the reasons why we're going to be talking. But uh, there's something on there called Best Vintage Lenses. Sorry, Best Vintage Lens. And uh, one of the people behind it is a chap in Florida, as we speak at the moment, is uh, Ricardo Bayon. So uh, hello, Ricardo, and welcome to the show.
2: Hey, Simon. Uh, Johnny sounds a whole lot more awake today than he did the last podcast. And <laughs> had a lot of coffee there, Johnny. <laughs> yeah, and Simon, um, we call them uh, a feed. What we do there is basically um, we take photos that other people have taken with vintage lenses and we post them saying what lens it is uh, and giving it people credit. So, right. I guess I...
0: Okay, well, that's that's part of the education. Um, and uh, we'll no doubt we'll be talking a lot more about that later. Um, but I think first it'll be... I think it would be good if if you could do a little bit of a introduction about yourself. In particular, we'd like to know uh, about your photographic life. You know how how you got interested in photography um, all the way through to uh, where where you are now, and uh, perhaps that uh, that Instagram feed.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, I was born in in Colombia in South America, and I guess the the interest started at birth because uh, my father worked for Kodak. Uh, And so we would move around all over Latin America and he was working with Kodak. So I was born in Colombia. Then we moved to Venezuela. Then we moved to Peru. Then we moved to Chile Then Argentina. uh, And I actually came to university in the United States um, and now live in California, though I'm in Florida. So so moved around a lot. Um, But, you know. Photography was always part of the household because my father worked for Kodak and uh, there was always pictures and cameras and lenses and all the rest of it. And in fact, uh, when I was a teenager, I got really interested in photography, doing photos of all kinds. In fact, uh, went to work with my father at the lab at uh, Kodak in Chile. So there was always a connection to photography. Um, And then afterwards, I just kind of, I kind of dropped it. I guess I was uh, I was too lazy for the, the film and darkroom era. I never, you know, I, I'd done darkroom dark work and processing and all that sort of thing, And um, but you know, never kept it up. And then when digital cameras started to really take hold, um, you know, I sort of picked it up, but never did all that much. And then finally, about, I would say, maybe six, seven years ago, um my wife needed to get a camera to do some work um for uh, a a uh, basically a a sort of a online uh project that she had on cooking so she was taking photos of food and i started like researching cameras for her and got a nikon camera um and, you know, trying it out, I kind of got hooked again. And, and kind of what hooked me, I think, were were macro shots. And I, I, I studied biology. And so I have always loved uh, insects and flowers and that kind of stuff. And, and the macro kind of just hooked me back in. So I bought a macro lens and was shooting macro and, um, you know, Discovered Instagram as a result and started posting the photos on Instagram. Made a couple of friends uh, on Instagram um, that we were chatting all the time uh, about photography and macro and, uh, and photos of mushrooms and leaves and flowers and uh, insects. And um, one of the members of that group uh, was, is a guy named Ian Chatham who lives over there in, in London uh, his name is Sack of Soul on Instagram. Um, and um, he got interested in vintage lenses. And he bought, I think his first lens was a Helios, and then he bought a, a Trio Plan 50. Um, and, uh, he was just raving about it and saying, Hey, you should get some of these lenses. And I was like, ah, no, I don't know. But he was taking these shots with really cool bokeh shots with, uh, all these flowers and, you know, the standard bubbly bokeh of the trio plan and all the, all the rest of it. And I was like, maybe I should give it a try. So he introduced me to his, uh, trio plan dealer, a guy named Daniel Elwanger, who's also on Instagram as a vintage lens, um, Photo and I bought a trio plan off of him, and then I did some searching and bought a Helios, and and they both arrived. and I was, I was, you know, I loved the bokeh, but I was actually blown away at the kind of life of the shots. It was, they felt like they had a lot more character, a lot more interest than the you know very precise shots with uh, modern lenses, and and I was just hooked um, from there and. You know, started buying way too many lenses on eBay uh, to the point that I think uh, I think my wife thinks I have a psychological problem at this point.
0: <laughs> I think it's fair to say I, I think uh, all of us with partners have uh, can can relate to that. Certainly, my my wife thinks there's something uh, particularly odd about me, and uh, <laughs> the amount. Although here. Simon's so. wife happens to be right, but that's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> So
2: I'm, I'm just on your. I'm pretty sure my wife is right too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> They're all right about us. That's the problem. Yeah. I'm I'm just on your um, Instagram feed at, at the moment, and uh, when when you say that you like bugs and uh, and things like that, you, you you're, you're not kidding. I mean, it's it's absolutely packed with uh, macro uh, close-ups. I mean, there are um, a few wider shots. I mean, there's something. I think is in, is in Norway uh yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah it looks like it, it, it's uh it, it's a gorgeous shot but it, it sort of jumps out at you for being uh actually there's two of them there it's for 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 being different so you can see where your 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 passion uh really lies with the uh with with the macro stuff
2: yeah i'm kind of a one-trick pony simon you know that's uh it's all i do but no i i i do like landscape shots and i've done a few of them but uh uh it's really not something i do every day because you know i find it easy to do macro just because i can go out in my garden and find interesting bugs and take shots whereas you know if i'm going to do a landscape at the sunset or sunrise i got to wake up early or stay up late or do all that kind of stuff and you know i'm just too lazy for that now. who's so, got time
0: so what so what's the what's the state of your collection at the moment then because i mean you're doing a, a lot of macro shots i mean i i it, it doesn't actually say what you're using in many cases. Oh, actually no, there you go. I've just spotted one here with the, uh, a Pentagon Practicar 1.8, uh, which is yeah. a very. Uh, it, you know what? That's a lens that I've uh, I've had come and go uh, many, many times. I've never used it, but yeah, it's a, it's a lens that sort of. I, you do see some really really great uh close-up and bokeh shots with with that lens and for some reason i just i just i look at them i think i should really do that and then i'll go mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah
2: yeah i mean i've i've kind of experimented a lot with the uh, the cheaper lenses so i haven't gone to like the lake like a thread mount type lenses and stuff yet um i may in the future but um, I, I, try to get the, the sort of really cheap classic lenses out there. And a the Pentagon is one of them. Um, I love, I actually love the bokeh on the, on that Pentagon. Cause it's not, you know, the perfect circular bokeh that the trio plan does. It's kind of got a little bit more character and a little bit more weirdness to it. But I actually find that, um, well, I, I have two copies of that lens. Um, uh, one of them, um, is a uh, PB mount uh, uh, and the other one is a M42 uh, Zebra and the M42 one actually, I don't find is as, uh, as nice for non boke shots as the as the Practica PB mount um, that I got with a Practicar camera, um, you know, pretty cheap. Um, but that one, I think even, even for non-bokeh shots, so for taking kind of black and whites it, it it does a really good job. I really like it. Um, it's kind of one of those lenses that, for me, does a little bit of everything because I th- I slap it onto a, a, a helicoid, and uh, and then I can just convert it to do macro shots uh, or, you know, use it normally. And uh, I really like it.
1: That's a that's a really good lens that um, I don't think we've ever talked about before even when we talked about you know, what lenses should new members look at. And it seems like people always gravitate towards a Helios 44 and some other lenses. But that Pentagon lens is a good all around lens. I was looking at my Flickr uh, album from that lens and I've used it for landscapes. I've used it for street photography. I've used it for focus shots. Um, it's got a super close focus. My God, I've got a picture of a little yeah. crab on the beach where I must've been almost touching it. And, um, The funny thing is, though, as much as I like it, I've had three of them, but I've sold them all each time. I don't have any right now, (laughs) (laughs) which isn't surprising because that's kind of how it goes with me. But it's a really good lens.
2: Yeah, I I agree. I think uh, it's an excellent lens as sort of an all-arounder. So, you know, when I'm traveling, I don't want to, like, carry a ton of lenses. I tend to travel with that one. Uh, or the helios which i also like and and you know being a macro shooter that close focus for me is pretty pretty important um uh, and so i i I love that lens and i think it's a great starter lens for people
0: Well, it's it's pretty much the i mean helios is helios lenses have have been going up in in price for uh, a while i mean there are still millions out there to be had and there are bargains to be had Um, but yeah the the I mean, there's you do see this, this lens in, in several different forms, um, you know, whether it'd be down as a Pentacon 51.8 or a, a Practicar 51.8. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also the Mayor Optic as well, isn't it? Because that's ultimately where it started. So it's a Mayor... Is it Orastor, is it Mayor Optic Oriston? It's
1: Oriston. It's so it's Mayor my, Optic Oriston. And I've never been able to figure out whether they're the same lens or there's actually something different. The is a little bit more expensive. And then there's another yeah. lens, there's another lens that's a little, so then the, um, oh, I know that the 51.8 pan color seems, the, the three of them seem really similar to one another mm-hmm. and just vary by price.
2: Yeah, the arreston is actually the same lens. So when, uh, when Pentagon started, uh, they took, basically took that lens and the uh, the 1.8 is that uh, lens Uh yeah, the which, next
0: iteration of that lens which which ultimately makes that different from the mm-hmm. the pankal it's uh it, the, the similarities mm-hmm. there but i think opt- optically it's it's a it is a different lens uh,
2: and and i think once Pentagon took it over you know they started at changing the coatings so i think the later versions have different coatings um but i think optically it's the same and and the glass i'm not sure how the how the glass changed uh but yeah
0: no, I think they've, they've, yeah, it, it's, it is it is one of those sleeper lenses that is e- easily uh, passed by, but um, it absolutely deserves uh, closer attention. Um, and I've just spotted another, a, another picture that jumped out at me and it's, uh, uh, I believe it's a picture of your dog or it's a dog. I'm not sure if it's your dog or not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, <all laughs> right. it's my dog. That's it. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a lovely picture of the dog and um, and it's interesting that you, you took that with a Zenitar M 51.7, uh, which is a lens that, um, we've been privately chatting about, uh, uh, Carl certainly has as well recently. And I don't know if you, have you, did you buy one of these very recently, Carl? Which one is it now? Uh, Zenitar, uh, 51.7. Yeah. It's stuck
1: over at the post office because I lost the uh, tracking slip and so they can't find it. Yeah, I have one. It's it's the post office is keeping it for me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I think that lens is is excellent. I mean, the sharpness on it is is phenomenal, and it actually has a decent bokeh. But um, uh, another thing that's interesting is that there is an ME version of that lens, which has a square aperture. Mm-hmm um and and so you get that that square bokeh uh in the background which is can be really really cool if used right if not used right it's kind of weird and funky but um i've seen some shots where it's used just to perfection and and i call it plaid bokeh because when you get a bunch of colors in the background it actually kind of looks like there's a plaid background um it's kind of cool
1: the, pe- the Pentacon's um, interesting because if you look at the um, lenses that are on eBay, <clears throat> you'll notice that there's one that says Pentacon Auto multi Multicoded, and then there's another one that says Pentacon Electric, mm-hmm. and um, I think they're the same lens, because I've had yeah, both think- of them.
2: I think optically they are the same lens. Um, yeah. uh, I think there might have been a slight difference in the in the way the aperture worked once mounted, but I don't I don't actually know what the difference is. I couldn't tell either.
0: Well, the, the one electric, of them. I was going to say the the electric has just got. Uh, I think it's three three contacts on the uh, the back of the mount, uh, which all mate to uh, one of the later um, Pentagon, uh Practica cameras so I I never actually used it but I believe it gives some some extra thing with the aperture control so either, but it, it optically there is zero difference yeah
1: but but definitely
0: for, for people listening and thinking about starter lenses these are you
1: know 65 dollars with free shipping on ebay really in, in perfect condition
2: Yeah, one thing that I found that was interesting about that is that uh, if you look for Practica B mounts, if you find an adapter for Practica B mount, uh, and then find lenses in that PB mount, um, they tend to be much, much cheaper. Um, And there's some decent lenses there, including that Pentagon, some SICE lenses, and Practica B. It's a good way to get cheaper lenses. Okay, you invest a tiny bit in the adapter, um, and I shoot Fuji, but so there's, there's adapters for it. Um, uh, but once you've invested that money in the adapter, you can actually get some bargain deals on the lenses.
0: Well, it's not as if it's a, an expensive adapter either. I mean, I, I sell no. the PB adapters and they, I, I don't charge any more for a PB adapter than I do for an M42, but it, it's, it is a bit odd that you know, people, in fact, there's a few mounts, I think there, where there's a little bit resistance, um, and because uh, I would say Conica is another one as well. You know, the Conica AR mount, and people will see a lens whether it be like a Vivitar or something, and it'll be on a PB mount or an AR mount, and it'll be correspondingly cheaper um, than 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 the same lens on a whether it be a Nikon or Canon FD or or, or whatever it is. And yeah, you know, the cost of adapting onto PB is no different. So yeah, you know, it doesn't cost much. Just so go for it and save some money.
2: Yeah, I think people are resistant to having multiple adapters and multiple systems, and so they, you know, they get a kind of M42 adapter and that's it. And, um, but but this is a way to get actually some really interesting deals on lenses. Finding those, you know, either the conic or the PB mount, I think is a cool way.
0: You make you make a good point there about uh, re- resistance. Um, I I I have real difficulty in understanding that. The <laughs> that you know, I I I want to use every type of uh, lens mount that there is. I, I just find find something really interesting that. But I guess that makes myself and uh, a lot of the people who are listening to this podcast a little bit unusual uh, because the the people that are casually uh, getting into uh, into all the lenses. I think you're absolutely right. I think if they if they've already got say a, a few Olympus lenses um, from from the old days or, or whatever, then they'll that they'll want to get the adapter for that and they'll probably still they would stop looking at uh, other mounts because they've they've got what they want and uh, and they, they just don't go any further than that
2: yeah yeah and you know i don't know how much uh, the practica b uh, adapter was for me i think it was like 30 40 bucks and and you know easily save 15, 20 bucks per lens on again uh, yeah, buying the same lens on an M42 mount. So well, it adds up.
0: Well, it does, and, and and certainly when you get into the more expensive lenses, such as like the Flactagons, um, because the the, the on PB isn't called a Flactagon. Um, it's just a Practicar. Uh, it's actually down, uh, most of them say Carl's Ice on them, um, and they'll say Practicar, and they'll say 35 2.4. Um, so it doesn't use that word, Flectagon. So people are searching for Flectagons, which is, you know, is one of the most desirable lenses out there um, in this world that we inhabit. And uh, they'll type in Flectagon and uh, and these Practicars will go sailing by um, and they they just don't see them. That's not to say that they don't attract a decent amount of money, but certainly the interest, in it it doesn't attract the same interest because it lacks that name, yet it's exactly the same lens. So there's a Flectagon on eBay right now. Way cheaper than anything other one on here, and it's um,
1: ninety five dollars. But it has a Praktina FX mount. Mm-hmm. Is that the same thing? No, that's pra- some bizarre. Pra- that's some bizarre mount that we probably couldn't get.
0: It's it's is it's, it's it's an unusual uh, mount, and, um, and oh, I think I think Steve Madden um, in our group bought a Biotar on Praktina Practi- mount this week. Um, and I predicted he was going to have a bit of trouble actually getting that to yeah. uh, to, to mount on this camera. Um, and <laughs> within within around about uh, half an hour of saying you might have a bit of trouble there. He'd found a way to, got it, to get it on there and polish the thing up to perfection as well. It, it paid like a fraction of its value as well. So uh, it can be done, but uh, it's... Um, Usually you're you're adapting different things together to to, to make it happen, but who knows, there might be a proper Practina adapter out there. Last time I looked properly was about 18 months ago and there was, I think there was some stuff that was like 3D printed maybe, but nobody seemed to be uh, making a, a, a mass market one at least. Yeah.
2: I mean, even something that shouldn't be that you know that difficult an exact amount. Of, you know, I got a biotar that I'm I am convinced was you know fifty to a hundred dollars cheaper than the same lens. Yeah, on exact amount um, and just the same lens. It's...
0: There they were definitely unfashionable mounts. I mean, exact. I mean, I remember when I first got into um, looking for old lenses, um, and the exacta was one that actually I was I was a little bit scared of um because i was look, looking at them and yeah some exacto lenses have got this this funny bit sticking out of them and then others others didn't and uh, i was thinking well, what on earth's going on there i just i just didn't understand what i was looking at because i was seeing two types of lenses yet only one adapter and i couldn't really work out why why you would use one over the other um and and actually there can actually be problems with with um exacto with the um the bit that sticks out is like a, a shutter arm because the 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 shutter button is is part of the lens um, and it just connects to the camera um but some adapters and i've got to say uh this includes k and f k and f adapters um depending on the the design of uh and the position of that button and that arm it can actually foul the mount so uh, you can't actually um mount it properly because the arm gets in the way that's not it's not necessarily all Exact uh, lenses but um, some do and some don't and some adapters will take them all and some don't so it's a, mm-hmm. it's, a it's a it's a bit tricky with adapter plus all with with a, with exacter. plus the other side of it is as well it's i always find it's it's quite a it's a bit of a flaky mount um it, it's difficult i've you don't come across did i don't know it just doesn't seem to quite fit on as nicely as you will do with a conventional bayonet, and you've got that little um piece of metal that uh, just click clips into the uh into the lens and you just feel like you can just knock it and um, have it have it off the lens have it off your adapter in no time so it's, it's 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 certainly not a favorite of mine,
2: yeah, I have two lenses, and they've worked fine, but i'll probably get a third and then it'll it'll mess up and I'll <laughs> think of you simon but um he, you know, I I, I think we uh, as long as I'm happy that have people like you stay away from these mounts because all that means is the cheaper prices for these cool lenses for me. <laughs> i have
0: <laughs> not anymore. Stay, no.
2: stay away! Stay away from
0: those. Well, I've got oh, a I've, scary, I've got another. I, I do have an adapter that works, so there there you go. I'll,
1: I will do it. You guys are wanting me to buy an adapter, though. I I have a gun. Since I've had my Sony, I never bought an adapter, and I've never seen what it looks like on the Sony. Um, <laughs> I've had this thing about buying an adapter for one lens that has a problem with it, and uh, even thinking about taking it apart and trying to trying to free up the blades, which would I probably would ruin it.
0: Well, yeah. that. I mean, I don't know if any... any I mean, I've, I've never done this. I mean, I know what the problem is here because there's, there's oil on the blades. Yep. Um, and I know the theory behind it is that you get some uh, lighter fluid um is one method and uh, if there's any proper camera repair people out there listening to this and starting to get horrified I'm, i do apologize now you know I, i'm not i'm not saying that i'm an expert on this but i know that uh um this is a method uh which, which is for uh, soaking those blades in uh, in lighter fluid and i've actually one thing i've been told is don't use zip uh, zippo uh, lighter fluid because it's got an extra element so there's, there's something in that I don't know if it's a lubricant or something but just buy cheap uh, lighter fluid which has got I think it's called naphtha is it naphtha um, yeah Napa. yeah. and uh, so you, somehow you're, you're soaking it in that and uh, it dissolves the, uh, the, the the oil on there and uh, in theory you'll, your lens will work but what are you talking about soaking it? Though you're, you're talking about taking the the,
1: the lens Ex, apart exactly, and getting the optics yeah. out, right? Okay, yeah. I mean, and, then, and then just taking a swab and doing it around the around the blades, and then they'll pop back out again.
0: Some, some yeah. something on those lines, or or soak the whole lens in Dr Pepper. I think is a, is another way of doing it. <laughs> <laughs> just
2: just keep the keep the cigar a little bit apart from uh, while you're doing that.
1: What about yeah, warming it up? There's another idea. Put it in the oven for a little while at 300, right? And yeah, after you things. use the lighter fluid, definitely. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Just put your oven on self-clean and yeah, walk away.
3: Exactly.
1: Yep. I don't. I don't mind and that. And then uh, you uh, got to put it through uh, the dishwasher once that you're done. Once baking. the dishwasher. <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> That's, 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 I, that's the only the only right way to do it. <laughs>
1: that, that that mount looks funny, but I think it works fine, and I, I get a lot better than some of my old M forty two or or LTM thirty nine lenses with with uh, stiff focusing rings. And you focus, and the lens starts to unscrew off of the camera. I'd, I'd rather have yeah. something that is locked in with a pin.
2: Yeah, no, that's true that flectagon, i mean is it it is it deserves its reputation i have the 35 and an m42 mount and it's a a 35 2.4 and it is a stunning lens talk about another all-arounder i mean and the close focus of it you can go basically from mac quasi macro shots to stunning landscapes with just Uh one lens i mean i think that one is is one of those desert island lenses if you have to take one Uh, it's up there but it but the the oil on the blades i mean i i have friends who've had that problem i haven't on mine. Um, but i i actually had there's a guy uh, somewhere near you simon a guy named the don on instagram goes by helios jeff because he sells a ton of helioses and um a, and he he is brilliant at fixing flectagons helioses pentagons he, he does a tremendous job at cleaning, lubricating, and and basically adjusting lenses.
1: We we were talking about this stuck blade thing yesterday, I think it was, um, in a a chat, because um, I think Simon and I both have a Flectagon with stuck blades, and I have a Canon um, FL 51.4 with blades stuck wide open, and I was saying that um, I'm real paranoid now about that, so I I take my lenses out every month and I open and close the apertures and I don't keep them in my cabinet closed all the way down or open them all the way up. I keep them at about F4 or whatever. And, um, and I I wonder how, I wonder if that's a stupid thing or whether other people do that, keep their lenses stored, open or closed.
0: Well, that's, that's, yeah, I mean, we were, it's almost an ongoing discussion at the moment and, um, and it started with me you know, re- reporting this problem I've got with my because my my Fleticon is a uh, a PB mount one, so it doesn't say Fleticon on it, and uh-huh. I've, I've I use it reasonably regularly, and I've I've always been in, under the I've had always had the opinion um, or the impression that if you use your lenses, especially the German lenses, if you um, and not the preset ones. Um, if you if you use those those lenses then they carry on working it's, it's just when you don't use them for a period of time and then they basically seize up yeah. um, but that isn't the case uh, with, with my lens because you know okay I've not, I've not used it for a month or so but you know it's I probably did use it less than two months ago and I would have used it before then and before then and before then and I do use it at different apertures as well it doesn't just it doesn't, doesn't just sit uh, wide open so so that that thought that if you use it it's not going to stick i don't i I no longer believe that if it's going to stick it's because something's degrading in the in the uh in the lens and it's going to happen at some point until you get it cleaned and then it will it will be fine but this this business about uh, keeping the aperture blades closed or halfway closed um based off what i've just said there I, i i'm now of the opinion that that's for me it, it sounds like an old wife's tale because just like my lens has, has stopped working and it's been a used lens so yes it was in the open position but would it have made any difference if it was actually closed would that because it's it's not the position of the blades that have caused the problem it's the fact that oil has got onto those blades and and made them slow so surely that process was going to happen inside the camera whether the blades were half open closed or or fully shut you know so it doesn't it, yeah. for me it doesn't really make any sense uh, oh, I, a lot of it's environmental too i mean I, I
3: i see a lot of lenses like this come through the shop and <clears throat> these v- are very frequently frozen wide open in the aperture you can turn the ring all you want nothing's going to happen because it's basically the it is the old lubricants and then the spring attached to the aperture ring you can turn it all you want but it doesn't have enough pull to pull the blades back oh you know close them back down so it definitely does have but i mean again i I think it has a lot to do if they were stored in a dry environment humid environment you know there's a lot that can cause that to happen over time and the same lens stored you know probably well somewhere versus stored not so well somewhere else may that might make enough of a difference you know
2: yeah, they, so. there's a business humidors for lenses. I can see well, Yeah, there you go. Well, yeah, and yeah. and, and, and yeah, they, right. they do exist, you know.
3: I know I mean we know uh her son has one of those, right? He's got like a um a really nice dry box that he uses for his best lenses to keep them from just turning to crap. Um and and they that's a legit thing, you know. So it's um and, and I mean some of them are humidors. Who knew? Yeah, no, really they are. And and I mean some of them are humidors made for, you know humidors but there are ones specifically made for that are at least marketed by places that sell lenses so yeah i mean it's a it's a definitely a thing and lens storage environment plays a big factor in how things work over time with classic lenses for sure
2: i I think the problem was just that those uh those russians and east germans were using russian tank oil to lubricate their lenses
3: well and if they didn't rub it down with the bacon and
0: all that <laughs> off as we learned from Vlad when Vlad was on he told us all about that so yeah yeah that's a that's a story that just keeps on giving, doesn't it? It, come, oh, it comes it does. That's,
3: that's folklore. That's just that's that's uh, part of the permanent history
2: of classic lenses podcast. But it's
1: it's I think Simon, so you, you,
2: I, I didn't listen to that one. So are you saying we need to rub bacon grease in all our lenses now?
1: Yeah, yeah. You if, you, if, you,
3: if you go back to the Vlad episode, you'll find he tells this wonderful story about quality control at the the fed, some of the plants that were making cameras and. There was this particular old grandma who worked there who used to rub all the cameras down with sallow before they left the factory. And those were the ones that were working. And when she retired, they had all sorts of problems. So it's a fantastic story. Everybody needs to hear it.
1: Yeah. So Simon, you ought to be the one that fixes the lens first and, and you can tell us all how to deal with the problem.
3: Oh, no. I, 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 can, I can tell you what works sometimes.
1: Well, Simon has that uh, special spray, you know, that he could spray in there, remember? Yeah, I don't use that anymore. Uh.
3: Yeah, I, I it, what, what, what will work sometimes is um, you find yourself a nice hard surface. Here we go. It's hard. Bang the shit out of that lens on that hard surface front down, and sometimes the aperture will just pop right open. That's all it takes.
1: Yeah. yeah, I'll do that. Simon, do that let me know how that goes, and then I'll try it. Well, I, I, I,
0: will, I will take it to my my, my tame uh, repair guy. It's as simple as that. It'll uh, he'll,
1: he'll get
2: Start done. off by dropping it uh, from one story. If that doesn't work, you know, you go up a story. And yeah, There it. you It'll go. Work.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I need to find a lens repair guy. You've got a lens repair guy. That's great. I need to find one.
0: Yeah, every, every everybody needs one. Um, I'm I'm very lucky. He doesn't he's not not too far away, and uh, and the best part about it actually when I'll, I'll I'll walk through the door and it sort of gives me the look of you know what you've brought now and because. Um, and then I'll, I'll 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 show him this this weird and wonderful thing, whether it be a camera or a, or an obscure lens or, or, or something like that. And uh and and he just go just dive straight into it. And I and there was a actually there was a uh a Mamaya um uh camera, a compact camera, particular a very interesting one, but I won't talk about it now but um but the point is though he, he just took the top plate off because there was a problem with the winder and, and the the there's like this coiled uh spring um uh, that just, just exploded as soon as he as soon as he <laughs> took the top off. And yeah. uh I was there thinking, Oh dear, it's trash <laughs> you know, and uh that's it. so 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 much of that one and uh, he like looked at me and goes, Don't worry <laughs> Yeah, this is this is normal, <laughs> yeah. And he, and he just he just patiently wound it all back together again. And it was just just a, a wonder to see this 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 car crash of a camera just just completely come back together again in, in front of my eyes. So, uh, but the the point being is he spends almost all of his time replacing bits of plastic from, uh, from you know, modern, modern lenses, uh, which, um, yeah, he, he, he hates the things, but uh, at the end of the day, it's, it's his <laughs> business and, uh, and that's, that's, that's what you're going to do. But it, it's, it's just, it just seems to be soul destroying at times. And then I'll, I'll come along with something odd and unusual. And it's all there is, you know, his eyes light up a little bit. And, um, you know, he just just likes to delve delve in there and just try and do a bit of problem solving on something he's not worked on before. So, uh, yeah, it's all good fun. Everybody needs somebody like him.
2: I bet you there are lenses, though, that scare the crap out of those people sometimes, you know. I know I was talking <laughs> yeah. to Jeff. Uh, that is, uh, I forget which lens it was, but he says, I'll never service another one of those again. It took me, you know five days to get those aperture blades to line up properly putting it back together. That's on my no-go list. I'm sure there's a bunch of those lenses.
0: You're absolutely right. I mean, there have been been, I can't remember any specifics but I've uh, I've pulled pulled the lens out of the bag and it goes, nope. <laughs> I haven't told you what's wrong with it. No, put it back.
1: <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to tell you a, a, a thing that's almost heresy about reflector gun lenses. All right, and you guys will all say I'm full of shit, but this is true. So I, I've I've had I've had a 2.4 and a I like the 2.8 better. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you 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 are exactly what well, you just mentioned there.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, I <laughs> think but that, that's that,
1: okay. That,
0: no, I do. It, I, I like am like
2: this podcast no more. I
3: can't
1: take it anymore.
2: <laughs> I, I like the look of the 2.8. I just uh,
1: I like the bokeh better even.
3: Yeah, I'm with Carl on that one. All ah, right. <laughs> no, you know, I bet a month 2.4 all the time. I you know
1: that.
0: <laughs> yeah, and that was also on Olympus as well, I believe, Carl.
1: Yeah. So you know what? Right. I don't know what it's going to look like on the side. <laughs> Can you send me an adapter? was real can camera. Can I just? Can you send me one, just like a loaner adapter? And if <laughs> I, just, I don't like it, I'll send it back to you. And you pay the postage.
0: <laughs> I just actually. Um, well, what you want to do is just get hold of Ben Kuto, the Kuto the Camera Company. Yes, I will.
1: Uh, I will. Um, I will do that. I shoot it open. Oh, I don't know why I'm bitching about it. The only time I've ever, I've always shot
0: it wide open, but um, I'll get one from Ben. Yeah. Mm. I was going to say something about that that flatygon then It's yeah, oh yeah that was Ben. for Ben. That's yeah, no, I, I just I just realised what it was, and um, when I just just for those uh, people I've just alienated um, partially uh, by saying you shot it on Olympus. I wasn't actually having a go at a Olympus. It's a case of uh, many lenses uh, just behave differently from one camera system to another, and and some work particularly well on one and don't work as amazingly on the on another. Although I've got to say. Um, some of my best shots uh, with the Flecticon have been taken with an Olympus uh, micro four thirds. I actually, it's one of the few widish uh, lenses that I, I really, really like on on the Olympus. It was, okay. It's giving you a, a, a 70 mil um, angle of uh, equivalence, um, but it's, that that close focus and relatively fast aperture, um, you can get nice and close to things, and it's yeah you know, it, it effectively amplifies that macro effect as well with the uh, with the the two times crop as well. So yeah, I like I do actually like it on the Micro Four Thirds, but um, you do have to try it on on full frame because you've you've I, got it and it's 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 worth trying definitely.
1: I will. I mean, well, sure. Do you remember the um, that cheap Doma Plan lens that I still have? I I, sh- I took shots that looked like a trioplan on the Olympus, and um, they were just amazing—the the perfect circle bokeh bubbles—and um, I can't do it on the on the Sony. It's, it's just a, it just looks like shit. <laughs> it's, it's, I wish I had kept one of my Olympus camera bodies. Um, as, a, as just to have that, to have that uh, small sensor for just, just for just, that lens, just,
0: just for a dummy plan, <laughs> yeah. just,
1: just to go out after the rain when there's some sun and there's water drops on things, and just make some of those shots, right?
0: Well, that's a that's a lens with a, a generally pretty poor reputation, isn't it? Um, it's a really sharp
1: lens, yeah. and it has nice bokeh on a Micro Four Thirds.
0: But uh, generally speaking, though, that's also when you you stick it on the, an extension or a helicoid as well, isn't it? So it has, you, to, have you, yeah, it has you, to have a helicoid.
1: Yeah, it has to have a
0: helicoid. Yeah, to to get that effect, you've you've got to get very very close to uh, your, your subject that's in focus, and then
1: uh, and and, then and have, have big water drops that. in the background, and have light shining on the water drops, and all those things. Yeah.
2: Well, mm-hmm. actually, but, that but when you put it on a helicoid, don't you? bubbles get much bigger you don't have like a lot of smaller bubbles
1: oh i was able to make shots with big ones and small ones and medium-sized ones or or just on a a
2: helicoid Uh
1: uh-huh and and, um and then i was able to do shots where they were just a group of big ones oh yeah i'll have to look back through my
2: it's funny because i think a lot of people come to our instagram feed um for the bubble bokeh and at least that's where they start um and they're after the Trio plan and all that stuff. Um, and so the bubble bokeh lenses are like the ones we get a ton of questions about, and one of the, the ones that are mostly used um, on our feed. And uh, there's one that that I think, is, and this is heresy, is probably better for bubble bokeh than, than some of the Trio plans, and that is the, the Fujinon 55 2.2, which oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's a hell of a lens. Yeah, that's a cool lens.
3: Yeah, I got that one too. Yeah, it's a weird lens. It's essentially a, a Tessar with an extra element. <laughs> so, which you know, you stop a Tessar down at two eight and it bubbles like crazy, and then you add another element to it and make it faster, it just goes completely nuts. So, so yeah, it's an interesting lens.
0: Well, I think that's a that's a, a, a good. Um, uh, segue into into talking about your your instagram feed in fact you you mentioned there but i was i was going to bring it on as soon as uh, we started talking about uh, the bubble bokeh and things because that's that's certainly something that uh, gets a lot of prominence uh, on your on your feed and it's interesting what you just said there that um, it's it appears to be the kind of photography that that, that gets the most engagement as well so perhaps, perhaps you want to tell us a little bit more about uh, best vintage lens and how that came about and well uh, and anything else about it really
2: yeah so um how that came about was uh again i had this group of friends we have this group of friends that i met through instagram through the macro photography and we kind of call ourselves the hive because we were taking photos of bees at the time um and you know, just uh, chatting with them, and it was one of one of that group. Uh, this guy that goes by at sack of Soul, Ian Chatham in London, who started taking these bubble shots with with a trioplan, um, and you know we got excited about it and started looking to do the same. Um, I bought a trioplan. A friend of ours who's also in the group named Melissa who goes by at Petit Canard, and we'll, I'll give you all these all these things so that you can put them on the notes. But um, uh, she also bought some lenses, and we started looking at bubble bokeh, and, you know, just got enamored with the look of vintage lenses. Probably, in Ian's case, particularly started with the bubble bokeh. For me, it was both the bubble bokeh and then just the character of the lenses. Like, when I when I started taking shots of family or the family dog or whatever, uh, with these lenses, I just found their character just so much more rich than, than the other lenses. Um, and we got excited and we started buying and we didn't see much on Instagram that was catering to that. You know, there were a few sites, um, one called old lens, and there was a lot of sites for just bokeh, but not, you know, dedicated to lenses. So, um, the the three of us, Melissa and Ian and I, uh, joined together with Daniel, who had sold the tria plan, to basically um, put together this feed. Um, and we started this feed by collecting uh, photos that other people had taken, and we said, "Hey, tag your photos to this hashtag #bestvintagelens," and every you know every every day we'll select a couple of photos to feature. And it started growing actually like crazy until Instagram sort of changed the algorithm on us kind of halfway in the mm-hmm. first year. Um, and and then growth sort of slowed, but, you know, we're still at almost 3,000 people on there uh, right now. Um, over time, Ian and Daniel kind of left uh, the the feed and we got three great new moderators for it. Um a guy named Mark. Uh, he's at Mark W. Um, Melissa stayed on. We got a woman named Eve who's at a Ninja, and she's out in in, in Latvia. Um, and then we have Jason Sandagon who's in New York, um, and. Uh, so we now have a a group of some great moderators on there. Um, and every day we select three photos that are, um, on that hashtag best vintage lens and we feature them and we say what lens it is. Um, and then every week, you know, the photo that gets the most likes of the week, uh, gets our photo of the week. Um, and so that's, that's kind of how, how we do things. And, and it's been fun to watch, uh, how it's grown it's been fun to watch you know what are the most tagged lenses on there because we created a series of hashtags for each lens that we feature Um, and so you can like click on the hashtag and you can see all the photos with that lens Um, or you know you can click on a person that that we featured and you can see all the photos that have been featured by that person so it's it's been kind of interesting to see and also to gather some sort of statistics i mean by far the the lens that gets the most tags and the ones that we featured the most are the is the helios 44 um you know and then after that probably the helios 44 m 4 uh and then you know the trio plans uh trio plan 100 and the trio plan 50 um you know we've been trying to do more than just the bokeh shots recently you know because vintage lenses can do so much more than just bokeh as you guys well know and i know carl and johnny love their bokeh but you know
0: mainly johnny mainly johnny johnny's obsessed <laughs> by bokeh shots <laughs> yeah so um but you know
2: it, it still is the the photos that get the most likes and the photos that Tend to come up as photo of the week are almost invariably, you know, some sort of bokeh, bubble bokeh type shot, um, uh, and you know, it's partly, probably the way we started and the audience we have, um, and it's just kind of what attracts people to to these lenses or at least to our feed. Um, uh, but I'm hoping that people will see lots of difference there, and I think also what's interesting is one of the things we'd like to do is appeal to a, a younger crowd um, to take some of the 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 types of photos they're seeing on instagram you know the more portrait street um, type of shots and and use the the vintage lenses because i think for the young crowd that, that you know it doesn't is not in a position to spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars on the best lenses out there or thousands of dollars on the best lenses out there um you know vintage lenses some of them can accomplish just as much for a fraction of the price, um, and so yeah. I think it's gonna. That that is really where I think it's gonna take off on on Instagram, and is people discovering what these lenses can actually do beyond the bokeh shots. <clears throat> mm-hmm.
0: I, th- I think that's a. I mean, what you just described there is. I think that's the the path of many many people. Um, I I certainly uh, was attracted. Uh, by what was going on in the outer focus areas, as much as uh, what was in focus when I first uh, got into uh, ad- adapting lenses. Um, so I was pretty much uh, obsessed by bokeh shots and finding it any, anywhere you you, you could do, I was, I, w- I was doing it. Um, and it wasn't really until probably about actually it was probably when I bought my Sony, I went full frame that I, I, I sort of realized there were other things I could actually take photographs with um, of I should say. Um, yeah. So it's yeah, it's it, it is interesting, but it is a, a yeah, the the way, that, the way that oh something just went, something horribly, just went wrong horribly wrong there. Hold on, I think, on. Just gonna I think we're just going to have to pause just a, a second. Can you guys hear me? Can You guys hear me? We can hear both can you hear of you. Both of you? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you hear me twice. So hear me twice. Yeah. yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Oh dear. Echo, echo, Echo. Echo.
1: Echo. 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 echo, echo. 50. You're not going to plug it into the wrong thing and no, lose I'm, I'm the rest just, of the recording. No, I'm
0: just, I'm just leaving it roll. just Yeah, and
2: I didn't, I didn't hear you twice, so something's weird. going on? Yeah. You hear me now?
1: yeah, the thing about um, younger people um, getting into classic lenses is interesting. Yeah, yesterday was the day. The last Sunday of every month, we have a, a little photo um, club in town called the Camera Cafe. And Sunday mornings, we meet at this this cafe, and there's about eight to ten of us. And um, a, a, a student here at the university emailed me and said um, he was he was new to the area and he was interested in photography and he had seen my photos and you know did I know anyone that um, you know got together? And I told him about our groups. He came yesterday and he had an Alpha an Alpha Seven Three. I thought that was cool, and the lens that he had on it was a was a um, a uh, Nikkor AI 50 f2 which is a fantastic old classic lens and I thought this guy's good he's going to fit in perfectly <laughs> and and then we got talking about how he had that on there because he liked classic lenses but also because none of the Sony lenses were any good and so <laughs> and and they were all too expensive and Iman won't right. like that because I I, and I have to say there is one the 55 um sonar is a really good lens
0: I mean, there were there were lots of good lenses on Sony. There were also some quite quite mediocre ones on there. But uh, the zooms
1: are the ones that I've tried that I've not liked.
0: Yeah, but again, it's it's horses for courses. I mean, if, I mean, generally speaking, the people that are interested in uh classic lenses are people that want to shoot their lenses wide open or pretty close to being wide open yeah um because ultimately when you when you stop a an old lens down to f8 or something then really there's not a huge difference between that and the uh, and modern lens so it's almost like what's the point um but the thing is with most zoom lenses um they're they're relatively slow compared to uh an old prime so the things that you're looking for in the shot. Um, you're just not going to get that out of a modern zoom. Um, generally speaking, I mean, the, there's certainly a place for modern zooms. If you're if you're doing wildlife or something <laughs> like that, then it, it's a, it's a hell of a sight easier using a good long uh, autofocus zoom lens than it is using a, a, a three or four hundred mil prime. Right. I is
1: Johnny back on? Hello. Yeah. So Hope Simon not. just said that most people who use um, classic lenses use them to shoot them wide open. <laughs> I didn't know if you were on or not, but I was going to say that um, when I do street photography, I don't walk around with my lens wide open. And um, and when I have and when I have my lenses on my old Leica um, rangefinder or Canon, I'm shooting at f/8 or 11 usually. I I think it's a it's a
3: fairly good assumption if we're talking about people using them on digital though because i mean i i would say most people well i i don't do that either no i know but if you look at what happens in our group that's a big part of it and i mean i when i i would say 80 percent of the time if somebody comes into the shop and they're looking for a classic lens and they have a digital camera they want to see what it does wide open you know so if you're using a digital i think it's kind of the starting point for most people is they want to shoot it wide open
2: well, yeah, just like, I, I agree because you, you
3: can are... you can. You can't really do that on you can't do that on film, but you can on a digital much more easily. So
2: yeah, and I think on our on our site, it's definitely yeah. the case that people are looking for uh, wide open yeah. lenses that, yep. that are relatively inexpensive.
1: I don't know. I, I have this thing that um, Simon actually is the one who got me onto this because he was doing it all the time, and that is being able to shoot images that have. 3D pop. And I know we've talked about this term, and people don't like it, but um, images that look like they're just popping out at you. And and he has done some really nice shots. I mean, it started off with like a picture of a vine or some silly thing. But then later, um, you've got some really good shots that you took with, I think, that Summicron lens that you have. And um, I never was able to do it. Never. And the day I put um, some SLR lenses on the Sony when I got it, immediately I, I was getting it. And it just blew me away, and and I'm more interested in that than what the bokeh looks like often.
0: Yeah. Hey guys,
2: can can you hear me?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're back. I think we just did have some technical uh, things going on there, but it seems to have cleared itself up again now. So yes, you're back okay good
2: um yeah i know i think on on our instagram site one of the things that we do see is a lot of people looking for fast lenses on the cheap um uh, for them to shoot wide open and and that's definitely what first attracts them to 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 lenses i think some of them realize that they can do a whole lot more with them and that they have a a quality and i'd be interested in you guys who what you guys think since you've been at it for a lot longer than i have i think um this whole question of what is that quality that the old classic lenses brings that the new ones don't. I mean, in my mind, it has something to do with uh, once you have something that is just so sharp and so perfect and so crisp that it's almost, um, I don't know, mechanical, um, less Mm -hmm. human in a way. Um, uh, And, you know, I've been on the forums and had chats with people and there's people that say, nah, that's just, you know, you're, your biases in and doesn't really exist. There's no such thing as micro contrast. That's a bunch of BS and all that kind of stuff. Where, where, where do you guys fall on that debate?
0: Uh, well, for for me, it, it's it's ca- character is um, it's it's about character and character. Ultimately, when we're talking about lenses, is is, is more about flaws. Um, it's about something that the, the the lens doesn't do as well. Because you look at modern lenses. Um, the the best modern lenses out there, um, they're pretty much flawless. Um, They're getting increasingly sharp and they're getting increasingly sharp across the the frame. And, you know, know, most of us, as as I believe, uh, are shooting these things uh, wide open and so therefore uh, we're using them in the most compromised way. Um, so you're, you seeing what, what character there is in the lens, you're seeing it at its absolute maximum or rather what flaws there are in the lens, you're seeing them at their absolute, maximum. And then those, those flaws for me are what make a, make a, a shot interesting, um, a, a lens interesting, especially, I mean, generally speaking, you get, um, lenses are, are pretty sharp in the center and then they fall off at the edges. And if you're not doing landscape, then really that, that isn't really a problem because I think that actually helps you. If, assuming you've, you've got a reasonable amount of sharpness in the area of, the, of your subject matter and it's well exposed, um, I think that lack of sharpness around the, around the edges draws your eye in to, to what this, the photograph is all about. So ultimately, I think you can actually end up with a, a, um, a, a punchier image um, because of those flaws.
2: Yeah, no, I I agree. But where do you fall on this micro contrast debate? Is it does it exist?
0: I have no idea. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> I've I've got lenses that have uh, this. They are uh, allegedly very high in micro contrast, and they are lenses that, funnily enough, they are the lenses that I can most easily uh, get that three D pop. And, and the two lenses in particular that I would probably go to to try and achieve that will be my Carl Zeiss Planar on um, contacts Yashica mount fifty one point four, probably shooting somewhere between f two and two point eight. Uh, Alternatively, uh, my Zeiss um, 85mm 28 Sonar, both of those lenses are lenses that are known for microcontrast and they absolutely pop. But what this microcontrast actually is or not, I really have no idea.
3: So I will post, we've posted this before, but I will post um, uh, an article uh, published by Zeiss um, about uh, microcontrast that... Kind of, a, I mean, I think that I think part of the issue is that different people define it in different ways, but um, Zeiss will certainly tell you that it's a real thing and their lenses have it. So I will, I will post this and people can sort of uh see what they think. Um, if they if they buy it, I mean, part of it is certainly marketing and propaganda, but I I, I believe it is a real thing. Um, and I, there are lenses I certainly have that I, I would say I- exhibit what i would call micro contrast um to a to a good degree um so it it i it, it's it's subjective but i think if you if you take a look at this article and what how zeiss describes it and and i think it can even be said that zeiss lenses are probably the um the lenses that uh could could claim to be the originators of so-called micro contrast uh that that you know, you I guess kind of look and see for yourself, but I mean, I I believe it's kind of a I believe it's a legit thing, Um and I, yeah, you know, I, but it's very subjective, um, and and I think it's it's more than just uh, shooting wide open and having, you know, the lens separated from the background. There's a because usually I think when it's most apparent, it's not with lenses that are wide open. They're yeah. more like F4. So I, I think it's legit thing, and I, I, I think it depends greatly on the lens and how you define it. So.
0: Well, just going back to a couple of weeks ago when we had Cheyenne on the show, um, he uh, made a point there about the design of Zeiss lenses and yeah. Leica lenses. And he was saying how uh, Leica ultimately went for sharpness where Zeiss went for contrast. Yeah, and, I think uh, that's, uh, and that made him a Zeiss person true. rather than a uh, Leica like yeah. person. I think that's mm. I think that's very true, and I, I think like
3: a lens where I see it uh, the most is I have a, a um, Roleflex 2.8 f with a 80 millimeter uh you know 2.8 planar, and and to me that if I want to see 3D, Carl calls it 3D pop or micro contrast that. That will definitely deliver it, and part of that is the format, the larger format. You know, you get a bigger piece of film. You see it much more apparently than you do on a smaller. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I you know, I think there, are, I think, I think Cheyenne, that was a really great way that he described the difference between, you know, Zeiss lenses and and Leica lenses, and I and I I think the other thing to keep in mind is that we're talking about as we talk about. Um, those lenses back in the day, they were very simple designs. I mean, you're talking about, you know, five, six, seven, eight elements tops in these very small rangefinder lenses. And, uh, I, I think it's the different, I think it's a different animal as you get into modern lenses that have 16, 18, 20 elements mm-hmm. that try to go about creating that, you know, micro contrast in a very different way. So.
2: Yeah, no, I think it's true that it gets rid. They've tried to get rid of those aberrations and the aspherical yeah. stuff, and and yeah. by adding lenses, and then you get in- increased glass-air uh, yeah. layer. Layer, yeah. and so I think that that definitely makes a difference. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, clearly, Cies are the ones that everybody talks about having micro contrast, but I, I actually found yeah. it interestingly enough in in the one that 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 I use that I. F- Feel it the most, uh, but I don't have that many size lenses. But the one I feel the most is the Jupiter Eleven, the old Jupiter Eleven, mm-hmm. the the rangefinder one thirty five four. Yeah, uh, that was I think right after the war, like the nineteen fifties, uh, mm-hmm. and 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 people say that that's because they basically got as part of reparations from the war the size glass that was in the factories uh and, and that they basically used the size glass uh to make some of those lenses in the early yeah. days i don't well, know it's, how true that is
3: no but, that's uh, that's that's legit i mean the early the early stuff is zeiss glass it's you know it it's it, and then and sometimes it made by zeiss to engineers who were part of the reparations um so i mean i that's that's kind of legit and that particular lens i mean that you know as we're just saying is a simple design that is a legit 135 sonar design whereas a lot of the modern lenses that say sonar are not a sonar design that is a sonar design 135 and the Classical sense of the term, so that that's yeah. that's for real. I mean, especially, the, and I mean, it, even the later stuff is going to be the same design, and they, you know, but it's going to use different glass. And um, it's not to say it's lesser, uh, but um, but that that's true, you know. I'm uh, so I think there is something to be said for why you you see it in that lens, you know.
2: So, what do you think the fairy dust is that Cy sprinkled on their glasses at the? <laughs>
3: No, I mean, I think it's the, gla- the glass itself that they chose because a lot of times they're using multiple types of glass mm-hmm. within a single lens and they're using specific types of glass for particular elements, you know, um, and they, they also did start coding lenses very early on. And, and uh, this may lead us into a conversation about the email we got, but um, lots of people claim lots of things about, about coding, but by, by most accounts, uh, Zeiss were the first ones doing it. And um, they were even doing it pre-war, and so I think that's a big part of it is that you're seeing, you know, early, you know, very early coated uh, glass glass in those old lenses. So, and I think by the early '50s, like post-war with the the, you know, the T coating, they were, you know, those lenses are really exceptional. And I think that's why. Um, i I talked about on our last episode sexy lenses and all that i that's to me why the early uh silver um Yeno lenses from the early fifties to me are just so exceptional. I mean the coatings are exceptional that everything is really great about them and and i you know I, I think they're fantastic lenses, and that's part of it i mean they're 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 coded at a time when a lot of stuff wasn't even coded yet so
2: And Some people say they're using different elements in the glass as well, right?
3: Yeah. Well, yeah, they use it. You know, if you look at the old optical designs, they actually, and this isn't just a Zeiss thing. I mean, this is everybody. If you look at, you know, uh, really old Russian designs, they use different types of glass for different elements based on the refractive capabilities of that glass. And that's part of what, you know, makes the lenses work the way they work is you know, a particular element is going to be made of a particular type of glass. And this is get, you know, gets us into, you know, the radioactive lenses and why they were made that way. And it's because the glass had particularly particular refractive qualities. So, you know, all great lenses are like that. They're they're It's not just, it's not like you're just using, you know, uh, one type of glass for the whole thing. It's, it's literally different uh, chemical compositions of glass for different lens elements.
2: Yeah, interesting. Does does anybody know the recipe? Like, is this like Uh, no? I mean, only a few people. Yeah, uh, no. That that's that's that's
3: that's part of it. That's why it's such a big deal that those early lenses that are have you know Soviet markers on them are actually made from Zeiss glass. That you know what it was a trade secret, and I think Vlad even touched about on this when we talked about glass and about the amount of time that they would stir the glass and at what temperature. I mean, that all goes into it. And that is definitely a trade secret. And, and, you know, um, that stuff was a a really big deal in terms of kind of intellectual property and proprietariness of why early Zeiss lenses look so good. And I mean, it's gotta be said. I, you know, a lot of people, a lot of the very old, um, Zeiss and Leica lenses. I mean, that the, they're not all the same, and I, I think the Zeiss lenses from the mid to late '30s are far better than a lot of the Leica lenses from the same era. Um, so it 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 definitely was a major point of uh, what set them apart, and and why they have such a a, a great reputation. It, it be it comes down to that, the chemistry of how they did things. So you know, I guess um, we have to.
2: But, sorry, go ahead,
3: Carl.
1: No, I was just saying that the the Jupiter Eleven, we've probably mentioned it. I don't know how many times on the podcast it keeps popping up. So thing two, because it's such it's such a good it's a good it's a good <laughs> lens. No, I've I've probably had, including um, duplicates that I've that I've bought. You know, twenty different one thirty five lenses, and that one stands out as the best. And and it, but I don't I don't recommend people to buy it because I've only ever had one of them and and I, and I don't know whether i got lucky and i got a really good one so mine's an old ltm 39 mount one it's absolutely perfect um but it's kind of fiddly too and that the um, aperture ring turns much easier than the focus ring and so sometimes when i focus i change the aperture by mistake without noticing and um so i don't recommend it to people but wow does it great take great pictures
2: and, and you know what it, what is surprising to me about that lens was when I put it on a helicoid and use it for macro
0: shots, it takes some of the most phenomenal macro yeah, shots sure. I've ever I've
1: never seen. thought about that. Okay, so I yeah. – right. Hmm.
0: Well, th- well, that's one of the things, though. You, the LTM 39, you, uh, you've, you've, got to, you've, you've got to put uh, extensions onto that to even get a reasonable focus, close focus, let alone uh, – macro shots with it though isn't it because I think it's got like about right. a, is it a two meter f- close right. focus yeah. or possibly oh, and, I, and, I, and I'm wrong I have
1: a context key of a bayonet mount on mine
0: yeah, yeah mine
2: is mine is a 39 L39 rangefinder, and it, yep. it is awesome.
0: lens yep yeah. I have the same one yeah just just as uh, we we've mentioned it um many times now, um about uh, the episode with Vlad. Um if anybody wants to um check that out and I and I strongly suggest you, you have a listen, Ricardo, <laughs> because you'll 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 like it. Um and that's, it's episode seventeen of the Classic License wow. podcast. So, Going way uh, back. Yeah, that long ago. In fact, actually when, yeah. when, when was that? That was back in May. Ula okay, May. yeah. That uh, sounds
2: about right. It. I guess what we're saying is that we need to, like, put a call out to all hipsters around the world to start creating craft lenses like they do craft beers and all that stuff, right? (laughs) Handmade with the right elements and stirring the glass properly and all that stuff, huh?
1: There you
3: go. I think they do that in China now, and those lenses cost about $89,
2: so <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure they're not, I'm sure they're not craft. I mean, we got to get some like people in Bro- Brooklyn or Berkeley or Chicago and, you know, the right
0: parts <laughs> yeah, of Chicago. I,
2: kind of that
3: stuff. I think the economics argue against that, unfortunately. <laughs> it's great if you can pay people $2 an hour and just, you know, like
2: no, but they'll uh, they'll sell them for like $5,000. Yeah. You know?
3: Well, yeah. Well, there's some Kickstarters out doing that. So, um, yeah, it's, yeah,
2: yeah. And they'll so, you know, come with
3: their own humidor, Johnny. So yeah, the there you go. It's got to come with its own humidor. Perfect. I love. I love it.
1: <laughs> so you know, I, I just realized um, I, I've never have owned that Fujinon uh, 55 2.2 lens that we were talking about a little while ago. So um, I think did you buy one yet? It. Because they're
3: really cheap, Carl. <laughs> I, I expected <laughs> you. You need to I, buy I one followed. before this. I already morning did. Morning.
1: I yes. <laughs> <I know. laughs> You no, know, from a guy. No, from a guy here in Florida that I've bought lenses from before, and um, he's very reputable. It was for forty-eight bucks, free shipping.
3: Carl, we have missed you so much the past few weeks. <laughs> well, I, and you're I, you're, guy, you're, you're, I have to you're try. showing it. us
1: why. I, I have to try. It. I mean, maybe I'll get the the photo of a week of the on the uh, <laughs> the best vintage lenses site. I'll shoot a real bubbly photo with it.
2: Yeah, that's a good I shot some nice photo of the
1: week. I shot one bubbly bokeh shot this week of a flower. It was la- or no, last week, maybe. And, um, g- and got all sorts of criticism about how the bokeh was just overtaking the image. And then I shot one <laughs> with a lens that had smooth bokeh. And people told me, this is, this is much better. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, yeah, I think if you, if you had posted that other one on Best Vintage Lens, you would have gotten all kinds of love. It depends who's on your, <laughs> who's on your site, man.
0: Actually, that—that's the point. There's a there's a shot that's standing out on the, on best vintage lens on Instagram at the moment, and it's a black and white shot, and it's a man walking up a street with long shadows. And I'm sure I've seen that photo somewhere before.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. No kidding.
2: No, the tip of the hat for you, Carl. Geez, well, Carl, that.
1: amazing. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I was just I was just walking up the hill, and there's this guy, and I thought, oh, that looks cool. Snap, you know. <laughs> I think we've discussed that shot, Carl. I, I it's, it's
3: really good except for that big line you put right through the middle of the photo.
1: Yeah, the big line. The pole. I thought you liked uh, electrical wires and poles and things. No, never
3: mind. Remember, we had this whole conversation because I have that one shot. <laughs> anyway... Long backstory. Nobody wants to hear. Carl, Carl Carl doesn't like one of my pictures because
1: of the placement of a big line cutting the <laughs> composition in half. So what yeah.
3: does he do? What does Carl Payback do? Time. You know what? No, yeah. you know what? I, listen, back.
1: I, I looked at that again with uh, fresh eyes and, uh, <laughs> and I think, it, and I, think it, I think it's good. I think both of our photos are good.
2: <laughs> I- imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, Johnny. Exactly. Take, take it. Take it for yeah. what it's worth. I'll worse,
1: take so. it. Yeah. That was the day that I walked around, and um, before I put that. Uh, so that was the LTM 35 2.8 cannon that I took that shot with. But I, I walked around for about a half an hour before that with my Voigtlander um, 15 millimeter um, Super Wide Heliar, and um, <laughs> I had the. I got. I'm never going to use that on a hel- helicoid again, and and I had it on there, and I I just assumed I had it all set on infinity because I had shot it earlier, and I must have bumped the helicoid. And I had it off infinity. I have about forty shots that are out of focus of a place that I'll never go back again.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean it's interesting the the reactions we get on. uh uh the different places and the different people that come to like you know facebook or instagram i think you know you, the people that come to you your guys's facebook group is is much more about sort of old cameras old lenses you know black and white shots uh composition you know, all that stuff people that come to instagram best vintage lens uh, so far and i think it's changing slowly and it will change uh, but so far, have been a lot about the bokeh. So there's one shot on our feed yeah. of of a guy, um, just a sort of portrait with the crazy Helios 42 bokeh in the background, just swirling all over the place. Um, and it is one of the most like shots on best vintage lens. And I and I started sort of cross posting onto you the fa- the Facebook uh, group that you guys have. And I started getting all these people commenting on it saying you know that's crazy book that's too much that i really don't like that <laughs> okay. that doesn't work at all for me so it's a funny difference of the communities um and i yeah. also find one of the great things about um instagram and this feed is that you know you can get a lot of analysis of the people and the, um and the sort of audience you have so um you know, we started off and it was a lot of people in places like uh, Moscow, not surprising, you know, old lenses. Uh, Japan, again, not surprising, old lenses. And then it started getting, you know, India, Jakarta, um, and, and and a younger crowd, sort of like a 25 to 35 crowd um, that started being the people that, uh, that were frequenting best vintage lens. Um, so I do think... There is, there is a really interesting growth potential for these old lenses in, in sort of developing countries looking for cheaper, faster lenses. Uh, a lot of them with, with that sensibility of like, you know, crazy bulky shots.
1: I wanted to ask you something about posting photos on Instagram. Uh, two things, actually. Um, so we, we often complain about how Facebook compresses images. And sometimes you'll get bizarre artifacts in the sky and things like that. And um, so I want one of the things I wondered is, is how, how, what's your sense about what Instagram does with images? And the other is, sometimes people post photos and they'll have like twenty hashtags. What do you, what do you do to like keep a? Is there a way to keep a file outside and then just cut and paste it in? Or sure, I, yeah, I, I see those. And I think God, are they typing all those things every time?
2: No, no. What they do is they, you know, you put them on your uh, iPhone notes. Uh-huh. Yeah, and then you yeah. copy and paste into the into yeah. the Instagram. Account. So uh, they do that. Actually, there's an, an I don't know if you guys have the, the iPhone, but the new operating system uses shortcuts, which are sort of mini programs that mm-hmm. you can program your phone to do all kinds of things. One of them is a sort of Instagram hashtag program that lets you pick and choose and
1: then pastes it onto your uh, onto well, your. I'll iPhone. have to look for that. I, I have an X, so I, I must have that. Yeah. yeah, I've
3: yeah, I've, a I've got a system. I have a big note notes file with uh, Instagram tag clouds essentially for a, a different camera and lens combinations. So, you know, I mean, I tend to post I try to post something every day, and I just I just pull ninety uh, percent of the time I'm just pulling a a pre made set of hashtags and you know attaching that into the image. So. Yeah.
0: I use yeah. uh, a program called uh, Grambler. Um, yeah, same one. From, yeah. yeah, so um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just 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 simpler to uh, just just type it in and uh, send it across. Especially when the, because I mean, that's always the thing, isn't it? I mean, you've you've got your pictures on your computer and uh, just get them onto your phone, and then it, it can be a pain in the arse. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it just works so much better. Yep.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I don't do that. I about
2: that. Lightroom CC is. Is really good about that. You can just basically have your your photos on your phone, and then just go straight from Lightroom into Instagram.
1: So I, yeah, I need to learn how to do that because I'm still doing the like the brute force method or whatever you would want to call it, where I'm posting on Facebook and then I'm photographing the photo with my phone and then I'm <laughs> cropping it down and then, <laughs> and then I'm posting that photo on Instagram. That's what I'm doing. You're gonna laugh, but <laughs> yes, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Eh? <laughs> no, I'm sure it affects the quality, right? And it takes. Yeah, a I, time. I haven't.
2: I haven't paid close attention to the quality because you know when you post on Instagram, you can at the same time that you post on it on Instagram, share it on Facebook. So there's a little uh-huh. toggle that will share it immediately to Facebook for you on yeah. um, a linked account. I don't know what the what that does to quality if you do that from Lightroom to Instagram and then. Share directly to Facebook. Um, I haven't tried that. It'd be interesting to know whether it really does mess up your quality.
0: Oh, we've gone quiet. Uh, <laughs> yeah,
3: Sorry, right, I was busy buying things on on uh, eBay.
2: Hey guys, you should you should have a bell for every time you know Carl buys a lens. You know, That's was, a, <laughs> I was a, just a, thinking a, about a, a three yeah. bell a three bell episode. Um, <laughs>
0: That's <laughs> The real alarm episode. There we go. Yeah, go. I must, I, must admit, I was looking for it when Carl did that. We, we cheered instead, but uh, yeah, we're, we're thinking on the same lines there. That's, uh... Hey,
1: I haven't I haven't bought a lens since the last podcast. So it was in withdrawal, and then and then hearing Simon talk about that damned. A sorry lens.
0: Um, <laughs> All right. <laughs> you mean the, the, lens, the lens that you asked me? Don't please don't talk about that again. That that lens that you've just In brought of up. the
1: podcast. And you know what? The, no new no ones have come up. It's the same damn ones with the haze. And so now I've been thinking, how hard would it be to take it apart? I wonder where the haze is. <laughs> could I clean it? Because there's yeah, lot, so and, Carl, and Right before the podcast, I got an email reminder from eBay. that that the lens that I had been looking at had been relisted for $79. And it's the same one with the haze on it, one of the elements.
2: Yeah, so what does your significant other, Carl, think of your lens hoarding problem?
1: She doesn't like it. Sought help? Oh, no, she doesn't like it at all.
2: (laughs) Has she gotten to the point where she dreads a new package arriving at your doorstep?
1: No, she sets it on my desk when it comes. It it gives
0: you a dirty look.
1: So when I come home from work, there's a box sitting there. One day I came home and there were four boxes on my desk. And I thought, <laughs> oh, oh my man. God, I'm screwed.
2: <laughs> yeah, what you gotta what you gotta worry about is the day that you come home and the box is outside with all your clothes. And- <laughs> all
0: right. So well, I think I think we need to uh, move move it on a little bit now because uh, two of us on here have uh, a little bit shorter time. So um I think let's um Johnny, let's have a we had we had an email an email flooded in this week, didn't it? Uh, yeah, so just uh, flooded right in. Yeah. Um yeah, from
3: uh Nick Hamill, apparently, well, maybe some relation to a famous Jedi, I don't know, it's possible. Uh but Nick Hamill wrote us and he has a classic lens question dot 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 Nikor N 35mm 1.4 So, uh, hey guys Hi guys I'm an avid podcast listener And I appreciate you bringing great people to the show To talk about their experience And sharing the wealth of information With us listeners Kudos to you all Uh, I found a Nikor N 35mm 1.4 lens Local on Craigslist Couldn't find much info about it online So I thought of shooting you guys a note To see if you guys have tried it I can vaguely remember you guys talking about 35 millimeter focal length lenses at some point in the podcast. And Carl, question mark, questioning that a good condition 35mm focal length lens with fast apertures hard to come by for a reasonable price. According to the seller, there is no haze or fungus and the lens is in good condition. Uh, so it's mint, not top mint. Uh, given this information, what do you guys think is a good price for it? I plan to use it on my Fuji XT2 camera. Nick, um, I mean, I can I can give some info on that lens if you like. Uh, it's a lens I know pretty well. We have we've had we t- we t- we typically have one of these on the shelf at Central Camera. Um, we actually have one at the moment, and I've actually. Uh, uh, personally had this lens in my home doing some de-yellowing. I'm the official de-yellower at Central Camera. So I bring these lenses home and I put them in my windowsill for a few weeks and uh, try to take the yellow out. And it's yellow because, oh my God, it's radioactive. Um, Thorium glass, as we were discussing previously, different types of glass uh, used for their particular refractive qualities. And some... Lenses that have thorium glass in them can yellow over time. Not a big deal. Yellow can be removed. Lens will not kill you. Um, so anyway, that's uh, that is this lens. Um, the N the the NIKKOR-N version of this lens um, would mean that it's the non-AI version. So we're talking, you know, early seventies. Um, it is a very interesting lens. So there there are several um several things about this lens that that do i think make it um a very interesting uh lens for someone wanting to get a fast 35 millimeter um this was and there is some very good information out there about this lens which i will uh share in the podcast notes Uh, but this lens was nikon's apparently first multi-coated uh lens um uh, or one of, one of the very first, um, it also has what they call their CRC system, which is close range correction, which essentially means it has a floating element so that the rear, uh, lens rear group of lens elements automatically shifts relative to, you know, the focus distance. So that is kind of a big deal. They, um, their nomenclature for the coding is NIC, which is Nikon integrated coding, um, uh, it would basically was a answer to the big boom in um, multi coated lens marketing that happened right around the early nineteen seventies. Um, a lot of lot of information out there on the internet about who really uh, pioneered multi coating. A lot of conflicting, you know, marketing stories from back in the day. But this is Nikon's early. Uh, multi coding process, which they of course say is superior to everyone else's multi coding process. Um, so it's it is a very interesting lens. Uh, it, I would say it's big and heavy. Um, so if you want to carry around a big and heavy 35 millimeter lens, this is for you. Um, I would I would say the slower versions of this lens probably are going to perform, you know, just as well. But if you want a fast, a very fast 35 it's uh it's hard to go wrong with this one it it does um it is going to be rather blurry wide open it's not going to be super super sharp but it's going to it's going to get better as you stop it down and it does have quite a bit of uh quite a bit of distortion it's it's going to it's going to bubble out a bit in the you know from in the center um so it, it's definitely not going to give a very flat rendering so if you see you know uh if you're looking at if you have a, a shot where you have some um, horizontal lines—you may see them curving a little bit towards the center of the image, um, but not a deal breaker. I and mean, the, the, there's this rather significant fall off in the corners. Again, I don't think a deal breaker. As Simon was talking about earlier, that light fall off helps to accentuate the center of the shot, which can be a very nice effect. Um, so, I mean, I think overall, it's a—it's a—it's a lens that is a really interesting one to have, uh, especially if you can find—you know—the earlier non-ai version which should in theory cost you a little bit less um, I'd say price wise on these you know the they tend to go in the 300 to 400 dollars range um, if you look at what they've sold for so your shop uh, on price? eBay yeah, actually, Which, we have we have one right in that range. Um, I have my
1: calculator out with the um, helios conversion factor already ready to yeah, plug yeah, in. No, here. That's,
3: we have one in that in that range. Uh, we got we got twenty percent off on a lot of lenses right now, so it's actually cheaper than than usual. But that's 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 a pretty good yardstick for price. And here's the interesting thing to kind of keep in mind is that this lens is still sold brand new, or at least the AIS version of this lens is actually still made were sold brand new by nikon it's in their catalog um you can still buy it it'll cost you about a thousand dollars it's you know it's the the ais version so it'll work on any camera a nikon camera that supports ais um so you you can get basically the modern version of this lens brand new still even to this day uh but i i think it's an interesting lens and um it's certainly very nice to look at and it's uh um you know if you can get one for a good price i would say 300 to 400 as a ebay retail price if you're buying it on craigslist with no sort of guarantee whatsoever i wouldn't certainly wouldn't pay that much i would want to pay no more than you know probably
1: uh, under 300 for sure let's put it that way um, so after all those things that you just said yeah which most of it struck me as things that i thought i wouldn't buy it why would you why would you why would you, I mean why would you not why would you buy that lens as opposed to maybe so it's a little bit slower, and a Canon LTM thirty-five one point eight?
3: Well, because this person asked about this lens, Carl. No, I no I'm just saying. could give him I a wouldn't.
1: recommendation, right?
3: You well, know? Yes, and if he's using it on a uh, thoroughly in incompetent camera like the Fuji XT two with a crop factor, which makes it unusable for most <laughs> lenses, um, I, I would also recommend an LTM lens because it was it's it's gonna. <laughs> perform better, it's gonna be smaller on the camera. I personally don't see the use of a 35 1.4 lens. I would rather have a 35 F2, but that's just me. Um, but I'm not Nick. Hamill, or a 2.8. Brother yeah. of Mark Hamill. Yeah. Or a 2.8, which is gonna have a lot less distortion. So it's gonna be a flatter uh field. it's not gonna have can you know, you're not gonna see that kind of bubbling in the center. So faster lenses when you faster wide angle lenses come with trade-offs and distortion is certainly one of them. Um but I mean, if he would like to get this lens and he can get it at a good price, it's a. I would say it's a. It's a good lens to have.
0: For me, well, I
2: don't hold you... on there. Hold on there. That that Fuji XT two is a crap camera. Them's fighting words, there, Johnny.
3: Yes, all all cameras that are not that do not say Sony on them and are not full frame
2: are inferior. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of work to do.
0: I think one one thing about that lens, though, well, well, I, I mean, I, I must admit, before that email came, um, I had no idea about that about that lens. I've n- not not heard of it, and uh, and I've I, I've checked on uh, eBay in the UK, and I, I can't find any of them on there um, either currently on sale or previously on sale for that matter. Uh, yeah. But I'll be interested to see what that lens would be like when it was stopped down to f two. Um, if it's anything like, you know, like the 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 fifty and the fifty five one point uh, two nickel lenses, uh, where they they really sing at uh, f two, yeah, yeah, I just, and I just it, wonder if that does as well. And I believe the the
3: um, the wonderful Mister Ken Rockwell and his review of this lens, which he reviews, and I will just say, I think love him or hate him, Ken Rockwell is a pretty damn good lens reviewer a lot of the time. Um, and and Ken, I believe, shows uh, photos of this lens at different apertures, and it definitely is soft-ish wide open, and it definitely sharpens up a lot as you stop it down. So, I think it's Ken's review has the photos. If not, there's another, and I've got links to it, so... Okay. Yeah, it, it, it's yeah. I mean, it's you know, it, again, you know, we go through this a lot. But a lens that fast back in the day, you're probably not going to shoot it wide open. You you got it because you wanted fast, open aperture metering, so that you're using your SLR in dark conditions, you could see in the damn viewfinder and you could focus, and yeah. that was the main benefit of a lens that fast. I mean, most people were not shooting it at one point they were shooting it stopped down a little bit, but you are getting the advantage of a faster viewfinder image in low light. So.
0: Yeah, when, when I think about that focal length, um, there's, there were some shots I can't remember who who, who took them, and I think I saw the one flicker, and they were taken with a Konica Hexar uh, mm. uh, camera uh, with, uh, mm. with with a thirty-five f two lens on, um, and they were taken in low light. Uh, probably using portrait. Is it eight hundred? Is it an eight hundred portrait? Was it four hundred? I know there's. Yeah. Either way, um, it, but there were low, low light shots um, out out in the street of uh, of people, and it just looked amazing. And they were just they yeah. were they were definitely sh- taken wide open, and they they were the, the, the correct distance from the subject, and you got that pop uh, from it. And uh, I, that yeah. so fast thirty five is something that in, certainly interests me. I've just never really got. Well, actually, no, I have a fast thirty five. I got a mere twenty four eight but that's that is a long way off being uh, a lens with micro contrast it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's softer um, at every aperture than any other 35 millimeter lens i've i've ever used um so so yes it does sharpen up but not by as much as anything else so uh, mm. so that and actually that sort of puts uh, one of those things to bed that if a if a fast lens is stopped down then when you're when you've stopped it down to a similar aperture to a similar aperture of a slower lens, then yeah. the faster the faster lens will be sharper. Well, no, it it doesn't work yeah. that way at all. Right. It can do. Right, right. Um, it, yeah. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. It's as simple no as guarantee. that. There is, there is no yeah. hard rule on that.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. indeed but yeah it's it's an interesting lens and i there's a lot of good reviews of it out there and you know um i i, I don't know i mean I, I like i said if someone is interested in that lens i would never dissuade someone from getting a particular lens that they think they want to grab grab it try it out see see what you think sell it to carl when you're done
0: with it that's it yeah. well thanks for the email there nick that's uh, that's appreciated thanks, just related
2: to that we get a lot of questions for what's a, what's your favorite vintage wide angle lens um what do you where do you guys fall on that
0: well I've, i was just going to say i don't know if we want to park that one there for now because maybe so we'll look we well we've probably only got about 10 minutes left it depends on the camera yeah, yeah so um true. Yeah, that that might have to wait for 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 another day. Because I think what we need to do now is um, do a, do any shout outs and any other any other any other business before we uh, before we have have to wrap up. So, uh, Carl, have you got any uh, any things you want to uh, have any, any shout outs or anything like that? No, I'm good for this week. Okay. Um wow. how, b- how about you, Johnny? Um. Let's see, I started making fun of Carl, and then I'm like, no, I don't have any. <laughs> <laughs>
3: But I kind—I of, probably do. I just can't. I can't.
0: I think. Think right now. Well, I'll—I'll—I'll I'll, I'll do a quick shout out. And, okay, uh, and perhaps you might uh, uh, come back with something there. And uh, oh, I do have one. Go ahead, though. I'll okay. Go you. Well, on <laughs> on what day is it now? now? Uh, yeah, it was on Saturday. On Saturday, I went to uh, Liverpool and um and did a photo walk first uh, photo walk I've done before actually um and that was I found out about it through I see a couple of places but um it was, it was being mentioned on Sunday 16 uh, a couple of times that this was going to happen and also um I joined a uh a website called photowalk.me uh, which uh, the aim behind it is to uh, get people together to go out and photo walks in different parts of the world anywhere in the world really so it's a it's a good it's a good site for trying to organise something if you if you don't know many people in an area then uh, that's a, a, a good way to do it and so that's how I found out about this and it was organised uh, by a guy that goes by the, the name of Stigger the Dump um, and uh, that probably means more to people in the in europe than it than it or in britain at least than it does it elsewhere but um and his uh he's on twitter and he's on uh, instagram as stig of the dump but uh um there's a it's stig uh underscore of the dump uh, there's quite a few stig of the dumps out there so stig underscore of the dump and uh, and he's a he's a pretty fanatical uh, analog photographer. I, I lost count to how many cameras and uh, systems he was actually carrying round, round with him on uh, on on Thursday. Oh, sorry, on on Saturday, uh, but that was just a, a really good meetup, and, a, and there were several other guys as well. So uh, he's put some pictures up on on Twitter, and I think he's just put something up on to uh, Instagram as well. So uh, just a shout out there because that was a, a really enjoyable day, and uh, I look forward to doing something uh, similar. It's a future date. So you uh, Johnny, you've, uh, you've remembered something now.
3: I have. Uh, I wanted to kind of give a shout out. It's not uh, so much to a person, um, but actually to a, to a film that I saw this week, um, which is the new documentary um, about Gary Winogrand called all, uh, all things are photographable. Um, I would very much recommend seeing this if you're at all interested in uh, photography, especially street photography. Um, uh, you know, Gary Winogrand is a is a legend, and and it's a it's a good look into his uh, his life and his photography. Um, and uh, saw it this week uh, at, at the Gene Siskel Film Center in Chicago. And I really enjoyed it. There's some things that bugged me about it, but overall I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and uh, some folks were there from uh, the Chicago street photography group. And so it, it was like a little, little outing. I, I went to the, I went to the film and like half the people there were, customers at central camera so that was kind of cool um so it's yeah it's really everybody kind of sticks together in a little film community here in chicago well big film film community here in chicago um so that that was really cool so i just want to kind of give a shout out to the film all things are photographable which is about gary winograd's life and i I would say you know I i think most people would probably enjoy it that that listen to this podcast and like what we do um and you know, Gary was obviously a classic lens user. Um, 28 millimeter lens in particular was, was what he used the most. And so I think, and I
1: think most people will really enjoy that film. So go check it out. Oh, I remembered something too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and this is, uh, I don't know if this is a shadow, but it's just a little story from yesterday. That's kind of cool. So we had our, we had our camera club and went for a walk around and, um, we were doing, um, portrait street portraits is what we were doing yesterday and um, we happened on a different coffee shop than where we usually have our meetings and it turns out the guy who has this coffee shop is a collector of vintage cameras and he shoots them and uh, we were in there talking to him and he pulled out a couple of Besamatics and he had a key some kievs and some <laughs> Zorkies and and uh, and he's going to start selling Cosmo photo film in his coffee shop so we're going to move our our Sunday morning meetings to, to his coffee shop, and he's going to maybe join. Ah, that's so cool little group, and he might join our our um, classic lenses Facebook page too. His name's Gary. Wow, that's excellent. Yeah,
3: I'm going
2: to give I one want, more extended to... shout
3: out. Of... Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I'm sorry.
1: I was going
2: to say, I want a coffee shop like that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, can I, can I? I want to extend my shout out real quick. Um, <laughs> it's it's an extension of the what we just talked about because I I was looking for. Uh, this person to mention as part of that shout out. But um, so there I, and I will post the link to this on Instagram, but the uh, Chicago street photography collective um, is the group that, that uh, Bob is part of Bob matter. um, And uh, I will, I will post a link to that. And there, and there's um, some really great uh, members of that group on Instagram and outside of Instagram that um, have a nice, you know, they do meetups and stuff and uh, photo walks and that sort of thing. And, and this event that everybody attended, the film was part of an extension of that. So that's pretty cool. So I'll, I'll post an extension to that. a link to that as well.
0: That's, that's great. And uh, Ricardo, if, I don't know if you've got any shout outs, but if perhaps if you, if you have. And, uh, and also, um, this is a good opportunity to uh, say about how people can follow your work, whether it's your own personal stuff or, um, or best vintage lens.
2: Yeah, no, I think I got most of my shout-outs to the co-moderators on Best Vintage Lens, uh, so at at the Ninja, um, uh, Mark W, Jason Sandegg on TV, um, Petit Canard, and then you know the folks that kind of started the 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 feed with me, Ian Chatham at was uh, at at and Daniel at uh, ben, uh, at Vintage Lens Photos, so. Those are the main ones but I just wanted to thank you guys for a wonderful podcast that you put out and keeping us all informed and and one day I'd love to you know ask you the final question of uh, of one cheap lens that you would recommend to people because a lot of people come to us with asking for recommendations on on inexpensive lenses of different apertures but if you had to pick one sub 100 or even sub 50 lens what would it be?
0: I think we have to do this very quickly, and uh, I'm going to jump in with the obvious one of a Helios 44-2. Okay, and I'm going to say a, a GZUKO Pen
1: forty-one point four.
0: That's not cheap. Yeah, it's But he gave a range
1: that went up pretty high.
0: It, I, I, think, I think that range has exceeded said still. Sub $200. Oh, okay, okay, then.
1: No, $100, uh, okay. wasn't it?
0: Okay.
1: Oh, sub $100. Was okay.
0: Sub 100 but... Yeah,
1: okay. yeah. Selective listening, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> i'm playing around with stuff in my drawer here on my desk one <laughs> i'm multitasking
3: <laughs> uh, I'm gonna, i want to i want to say the uh, any auto super smc takamar 55 1.8 you're gonna ah, yes all yeah. those should be under 100 bucks and yeah, that would be my lens. preferred alternative to the helio stuff yeah good lens
0: yeah, I, actually, I'll do I'll do calls for him. It's the uh, As- Asahi fifty-eight millimeter f two point four Helio. That's 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 within budget, and it's a great lens, and Carl loves it. Um, I've right. not been impressed with the photos I've seen so far, but I, I mean, I know you'll do better
1: over time. It's a new lens, and so you're getting used to it.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. Right. Okay. Let's, um, we need, we need to wrap up very, very quickly now. Um, actually, and before, quickly before I do that, um, I just want to thank, uh, Cheyenne Morrison, uh, Ian Fleming and Steve New for supporting us on, uh, on coffee or Kofi. Um, that's, and that's by the way, that's the second time that, uh, is it the second or is it even the third time? Um, Oh, it's a, it's the a second time that Cheyenne has, uh, has uh, donated to us. So uh, interestingly enough, he, he this time, instead of donating coffees for uh, for the three of us, he only did it for two of us because uh, Carl couldn't <gasps> bother to turn up. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> and he's mad because I told you about that lens. <laughs> Maybe. So uh, thanks, Cheyenne. And uh, again, thanks, thanks Ian Fleming. And and particularly thanks to uh, Steve New. You were very generous there. So um, thank you very, very much. It all, it all helped. So, uh, yes, um, anybody else wants to do it, donate to us or help with the running of the show, mm. uh, just uh, do a search for, well, you just go to coffee.com, that's uh, K O F I.com, and just search Classic Lenses podcast, and uh, you'll find us there. So, uh, it's and it's any donations are appreciated. Um, so, um, Johnny, uh, how can people keep up and follow you outside of this podcast?
3: Uh, you can find me on Instagram uh, at System Photography. Uh, you can find me most days at uh, Central Camera Company in Chicago, slinging cameras, and you can <laughs> and you can send us an email at uh, classiclensespodcast at gmail And
0: Cole,
1: yeah, so we'll um, on the Facebook page Photography with Classic Lenses and um, Flickr just by my name instagram by my name and yeah i just noticed that while i'm one of the featured photos on best vintage lenses i'm never going to catch up with this beautiful mushroom photo that's right next to it but never observe
0: it carl havens (laughs) what what, what an incredible coincidence that happened today as well (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) yeah
2: You, um, you've all got a photo up there now. Uh, yes. that was that was your gimme. From now on,
0: <laughs> <All> right, <man. laughs> we got to earn it, right? Okay, so uh, just before I, I, I uh, say anything about all about myself, um, thank you again, Ricardo. It's been great having you on the show. Um, I hope you've had, Well, you said you've enjoyed it, so uh, so, uh, so 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 that's great. So thank you for for being a great guest, and uh, it's uh, been a wide ranging discussion on lots and lots of lenses again. So uh, so thank you for that. Um, and so if anybody wants to follow me uh, in any other ways, I'm on Instagram as Simon Forster Photographic, uh, Simon Forster on Flickr. I've got an eBay shop. If you do a seller search for It's Fozzy, that's I-T-S-F-O-Z-Z-Y. Um, although actually I'm going to be away this week, so I might actually be shutting the shop down. So uh, if you do want to buy anything from me, there's a reasonable chance you you might not be able to until uh, the back end of the week. Um, also, I'm on Twitter, and I think I've been saying I'm on Twitter as Simon Forster Photographic, but I'm not. I'm actually on the Flickr as Simon Four. That's uh, F-O-R, so Simon Four. Um, and I have my own website, which I'm probably going to shut down this week for a week, uh, which is simonforsterphotographic.co.uk. And... Um, and you can find certainly three of us on uh, the Facebook group, Photography with Classic Lenses. It'll be great. Uh, uh, Ricardo, if you could share a few of your, uh, your pictures um, in our group as well. Um, and uh, a final thank you to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for providing our music. And I hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast. It'll be great if you could join us again next week. Thank you. Goodbye.
1: So, Simon, your photo which, with the distagon of this, I don't know what the hell it is, this fishing this pier with the low tide has more likes than my picture. But there's a picture right near yours. It's just bokeh. It doesn't have any photo, and it has way more likes than yours, so I don't, I don't feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> Let the just games a bunch begin. Of, it's, just a, it's just a bunch of dots. <laughs>
2: You say that with such disdain, Carl, but they're beautiful thoughts. And they're just you know, the some right of the places.
1: photos on here are just phenomenal. Now, I'm looking at some of these. There's one about oh, two-thirds of the way down the page with two fronds of a plant and these purple and blue colors, and it's, it's really beautiful. I hear you don't have any fronds, actually, Carl. Oh. No fronts. No fronts. <laughs> I don't know what the f you're talking I,
3: about. And I didn't even brag. I'm just going to say, I didn't even point out the fact that uh, I got featured on here months and months ago, you guys. So when I think we first started courting each other, right, Ricardo?
2: Yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, yeah. The the thing is that you were the only one tagging us, so <laughs> that's that's true too. Part. Well,
3: these 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 old guys here, they don't really, still don't really understand tagging, and it's and Instagram, and every time we talk about it, I'm like, it's like I'm talking to my grandparents
1: or something. But you know,
3: you know they can't help lot. it. They're, they they can't
1: help it. They're old, you know. There's an amazing bokeh shot in here. With it looks like a trioplan <laughs> shot, and a shot with a Tesser. Oh my god. Yeah, Tessar will do that in spades, oh. man. Oh, it's beautiful. Oh it's yeah. small. And and your new large.
3: your new lens will do it even better than the Tessar. Yeah. Your new
1: fifty-five two point two Fuji. Yeah. It's
3: been I'm, screwed with.
1: I've not spent a lot of time looking at these featured photos and there's some killer photos in here. Yeah. God. Yeah.